Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fright day. Perfect. Um, Let's podcast. It is fright day. I'm your host. Wait, Bo- we didn't do pre-roll. We got plenty of pre-roll. Oh, there was good stuff in there. Actually. There was. I heard nothing Remember the good. Door, door face was pretty good. I feel like our pre-roll is the best part of our show. No, there was okay. some junk in there, but there was some good, there was some good stuff. host Byron and is the best place for young that was not me that was was not me I didn't do it it was me and I'm so sorry but is is the best place for a young psychic to sharpen her skills a home below a prison's death chamber it all depends on how you define best tonight we head to 413 apple tree lane in five keys new mexico the frightening and fictional birthplace of the further fighter elise rainier played by lynn shea as we review adam robidoll's insidious the final key the last key the last key and was i always going to say this the way i'm saying it yeah it's free will in this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies, I'm joined tonight by Kelly. I really hope tonight's episode doesn't bore people because this is maybe my favorite topic But please ever. don't lead off like that, and Sam. Hey, guys. I also hope this terrible episode doesn't put you off of your fright day. It's just genuinely like my favorite. Well, like, that is on you to make it enjoyable. I'm going to. Kelly, you're going to be kind of proud of me. I'm always proud of you. What Byron. old movie did you watch? No, it's not an old movie. You know... I look rough. I've had a very long week. You're fine, B. Thanks. I appreciate it. I feel rough. You got some weird symbol on your pin. That's a sigil. I found the time to binge a Netflix series. Stranger Things, finally. Centered around a couple of crazy kids. Stranger Things. I watched the entire season one of the Netflix original series, The End of the Fucking World. I'm James. I'm 17. And I'm pretty sure I'm a psychopath. When I was nine, I put my hand in a deep fat fryer. I wanted to make myself feel something. School was beneath me, but it was a good place for observation and selection. I had a plan. I was going to kill someone. Hey. I've seen you skating. It's pretty shit. Fuck off. Working all day with my mind on fire. I can't stop thinking of you. I kind of think I could fall in love with him. I thought she could be interesting to kill, so I pretended to fall in love with her. Walking all day with my feet on. This is nice. What is? I thought probably he was gay. He does prick. Let's leave this shithole town. I'm going whether you come with me or not. You in? I didn't know where we were going or when I was going to kill her. Oh, that looks really good. It looks really fun. I actually put it on my playlist yesterday. Playlist? Yeah. Your cue. My watch list. All right. James is a 17-year-old who he's believes... British, right? Yes, he is. And he also believes he's a psychopath, uh, regularly killing animals and as a hobby, but he gets bored of that. And so he befriends a girl and he's like trying to figure out how to kill her, right? Yeah, Alyssa. She's a 17-year-old foul-mouthed rebel and she's got a bit of a crush on him. So he decides to murder her. They end up on a road trip. Things definitely don't go as planned. This is a total blast. I love this series. It's so well written. Alex Lothar, he played uh, young Alan Turing in The Imitation Game, which I did not see. Yeah, it's supposed to be just the best of the best. I also didn't see that. That is not even remotely in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Oh, it actually is in your wheelhouse, believe it or not. He was also in an episode of season three of Black Mirror, more in our wheelhouse. Mm, And then there's Jessica Barden, who plays Alyssa. She was in six episodes of Penny Dreadful, and she also played Nosebleed Woman in The Lobster. Unbelievable performances from both of them. Quirky in completely different, bizarre ways while still complementing each other. It's a really interesting series. Nothing like I expected. Ridiculously good music direction. A a mix of these classic ballads from the 50s and 60s. And then a bunch of like twee indie pop songs. There's a Tullycraft track that I really, really enjoy. I hear you from outer space. Pretty far. Super boy's got his problems and girls got her hang-ups and I know that it can't be easy to be Super boy in a mixed up world these days Yeah, I, I 
love this show. And I'm really looking forward to reading the comic book that it's based on. It's written by a guy named Charles Forsman. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's definitely Byron graphic novel style. But yeah, that that's what I did this week. I really recommend that series. I am glad to hear that because I really do want to watch it. My friend and I were looking at it. And then, like I said, I did add it yesterday. Mostly it was because I heard the British accent. Oh, right. So that, that's preview, really but, all that sells it? Well, I mean, the concept is fun, but there are a lot yeah. of fun concepts out there. And as Tim Ferriss would say, it was that mm. British accent that really grabbed me by the shirt. Oh, right. <laughs> that was a homeless man who was trying to shake you for cash. He wasn't. People don't do that to me. Never have. Yeah, it was dumb. That was Actually, a dumb once thing in Chicago, one someone did. took a grip on you? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Panhandlers in Chicago are real aggro. They're tough. They probably have card readers at this point. <laughs> It's hilarious. What? I'm just, I, I've spent a lot square. of square. All of them just have square. And <laughs> Wouldn't they're just be surprised. Out. I mean, really, that's a smart strategy for a homeless person. Well, that was always my go-to is I only have cards because I've spent a lot of time in Chicago and Anyhow. just have this fear that someday they're like, cool. I, I, take, <laughs> I take cards. Then you got to worry about what other hobo is put a skimmer and the other hobo's oh, square man. set up. It's, it's just not that secure wow. at all. But yeah, I mean, if people are struggling... I mean, it's not a bad thing to help them out, but don't grab, don't, don't grab Kelly. Guys. Okay. You guys do anything this week? We had a big New Year's Eve. Big New Year's Eve. Huge. I feel like it's the 11th of January. Yeah, it is, but oh, we haven't talked Jesus. about New Year's Eve yet. Yeah, tell me about your New Year's Eve then. We played Buffy the Vampire game, Slayer. Well, that's not exactly what we played. Well, it doesn't even sound exactly like the title. No, it's not at all. I had never seen an episode of the show, and it's the worst oh, thing I've ever seen. So we watched some, some Sam Buffy. and my friend made me watch Buffy while you we started, played the like, game. Episode one? Episode one. Man, that yeah. club. Bronze. I love the bronze. Yeah, absolutely. The bands there are so good. Really impressive to get those names in. Wow. Yeah. Wow, it was bad. It was, uh, yeah. Also, Kelly, you can talk about the Will Smith one. Oh, oh no. I will. We watched, watched Bright? I loved it. Oh, no. I actually thought it was great. Sam was going to talk about something before we talked about Bright, though. No, he was no. leaving I Bright mean, to can, me. You, we can talk about Bright. He, I know. He was leaving Bright to me to talk about, and he was going to talk about something else first, though. There's a little bit of controversy around Bright. Sam, what were you going to say before we talked about Bright? So, is it like the whole orc washing thing? No, we'll get to that in just a second. We watched Bushwick. I don't know how to use a gun. You look down the barrel. You line up, excited. And not until you're ready. You put your finger on the trigger. And you shoot. Which is not horror, but it is from Jonathan... Uh, Davis, of course. Davis, of course. Yeah, shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from Jonathan Millot and Carrie Mernion, who co-wrote and directed Cooties. And we had a chance to visit with. Oh, wow. At, Holy cow. Um, something a couple yeah, years ago. You can ago. check that out on our YouTube channel. It's it's a, just a fun independent action movie. And I would have to say that Mayhem is the only other independent action movie I think pulled off the relatively low budget thing. Because you can't do explosions and gunfire and blood pops and impaling sure. on the cheap. But they did a great job. And it was really an interesting take on it. It's, it's completely improbable. It's about part of the U.S. seceding from the rest mm-hmm. and i'm not i am not opining anywhere on the politics of this in the sure. movie as accurate as they may be it's done all in, as one take it's not i mean it's not one take but it's done as it's simulated like, one yeah exactly like okay. like real time basically our characters just start off and then they're just running through bushwick and gunfire and shootings and murders you know and then they Wait, just this, keep going until the conclusion this is david batista <laughs> this is dave batista all right it was, yeah. wait yeah. that's not britney snow is it <laughs> yeah, it is britney snow She's in the horror film that I have watched more than any other in the past two years. Would you rather? I've seen it four times. Really? I don't know why. I don't That's rewatch. So weird. I'm not a rewatcher. That's a good one. It's good because there are a lot of scenes wow. that stand by themselves. Maybe that's it. It's a blast. And it sounds like this is pretty fun. Yeah, I, I loved Bushwick. I, I'm not going to say it's a great piece of cinema. It was just a, like a really fun action movie with political moral subtext. And how do you feel about Dave Batista running as Dwayne The Rock Johnson's vice president? But honestly, I, I would support that ticket. He seems like a genuinely nice individual. Seems like a great guy. I thought Oprah was running with him. Are they running together? I am not voting for Oprah. I'm voting for Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Dave Batista. As long as they have a presidential belt at the end. It was. I I followed the production of this movie on social media and kind of wherever I could. And everyone involved with it seems like just nice people. 
role. A lot of heart. Yeah, and we know that about the directors. They were great. They were very gracious. Very nice, yeah. They had a long, long, long day, and they were still very cool to us. And Aesop Rock did the soundtrack? He did, yes. That's cool. Yeah. Everybody loves Aesop Rock. How do you feel about the Bushwick neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York? Dude, I live in Montana. Oh, right. I don't know. That's I fair. don't know anything about anywhere else. I mean, I've got some friends that live there. It's a pretty nice place. Uh, so we teased Bright a bit. We teed it up. And are you ready? Yeah. I have to say, when I first saw the previews for this, I was really excited. And then I heard initial reviews that it was horrible. Yeah, not great. On New Year's Eve, Sam and my friend and I decided, and why not? Let's watch it. And we watched it. That, that was the internal monologue. That was yeah. the voice. Thing. And why not? In fact, actually, Sam was dropping off. I realize this is an audio. Like, that's what people have to listen to. They yeah, don't they get do to... have to hear the high-pitched <laughs> part, not the face. So Sam was dropping off Creature at the grandparents' house because she was doing a slumber party with them for New Year's Eve. No fun. It was actually my friend and I that made this decision. And we really didn't make the decision, but I'm going to get into that during the Free Will episode. Which is coming up. Coming up, yeah. In this episode. In this episode. This is about how Netflix is actively trying to segment. corrode Free Will. <laughs> well, Netflix doesn't have Free Will either. So anyhow... We started watching the show, and Sam came home and joined in. I think Sam is on the same page that I am. I was really pleasantly surprised. I thought it was super fun. And I'm hoping there's a sequel. Well, can you tell me a little bit about this movie and what it is? It's basically like Training Day with orcs and fairies and elves. So wait, orcs? Orcs. And what is an orc? It's kind of like a troll. Uh, It's actually more like a goblin. Okay. It's like a goblin troll because they're bigger than goblins. Goblins are little. It's like World of Warcraft then. Yeah. All right. And they're elves and fairies, and the elves are kind of mean. The orcs are, well, this orc is pretty nice. It's got Joel Edgerton and Will Smith. Oh, wow. Are the buddies. And Joel Edgerton's the orc. Is the orc. Naomi Rapace. I mean. Naomi Rapace. Yeah. Sorry. God. <laughs> Anyhow, the cast is pretty killer, and I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It had kind of a couple tones of the fifth element in it. Definitely some training day type stuff. Some good old traditional cheesy Will Smith humor. Why do you think it had the Training Day vibe? Well, because it was a cop movie and it was directed by the same guy that directed or wrote Training Day. David Ayer. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, Max Landis wrote it. Yeah, son John of Landis. John Landis. Yeah. And there's, I mean, as this came out, um, well, there was a little bit of a controversy. Oh, God, he's hard to look at. A woman came forward and said that- He's a Me Too? He's a Me Too. Uh, just looking at him, I can't imagine that any person would ever want any contact from that man. I mean, we don't need to really. I mean, we can. Have the claims, now that he's a bad person, I can say that. Sure, Have absolutely. the claims been substantiated? Uh, you know, I haven't followed up, which is part of the problem in this whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But good news. An American Werewolf in London reboot is still in development. <laughs> okay, Against yes. the wishes of Max Landis' father. <laughs> father. Yep, so that's very interesting. Uh, uh, and I, I've got to say, the only thing I've seen about this movie, Bright, is the music video, my number one guilty pleasure, Marshmallow featuring Migos, did a song for I love that sound. mellow face. <laughs> He's got a big marshmallow head, and it's just fun, okay? They did the song Danger, which is like one of the lead singles from the soundtrack of the film. So that's bright. You really think there's going to be a sequel? I say I hope there's going to be because okay. I thought it was really fun. Well, I, I don't know. I don't want to ruin the experience for our fans, though, because you see one of the reasons I experienced it so positively is because I went in with no expectations. And now I'm creating expectations. That wine Kelly. I actually wasn't. What? I was champagne Kelly. All right. So is that a different one? Yeah, it's a little different. No. Okay. So that's exciting. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, no matter what, you were probably going to watch Bright? Yeah. That was a choice that was going to be made. There is no such thing as a choice. In this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies? Yes, sir. Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Yeah, I mean, finish oh, the water. God. You just don't need to do that. That seems ridiculous to do that loud. And right now. (sighs) Tonight's episode is real near and dear to me for quite a few reasons, but I also think it's going to be a bit controversial, perhaps more controversial than some of my wild and crazy ideas about cryptids. You see, humans get real fired up about the notion of free will, and I have my own philosophies for why that is. But I've been listening to a lot of Tim Ferriss recently, much to Byron and Sam's chagrin. I do not know or care. And he I, has motivational this, speakers occupy. He's not a, a motivational very speaker. Dumpy, dumpy part of the oh, universe. He's not a motivational speaker, and you should listen to him before you trash him. But the point is, 
he has a new series out called Tribe of Mentors, this cool concept where he asks famous and successful people in various arenas 11 questions about themselves. And one of the questions is, what one belief or behavior changed your life? So I've been thinking a lot about this. And there is a belief that has changed my life damn dramatically. And it's come about in about the last five years. No, it's not the belief in aliens or the belief in cryptids because I've believed in them forever. Okay. Many of you guys know that I've experienced quite a bit of depression and anxiety in my life. Luckily, I uh, found an amazing psychiatrist a few years ago who's made a huge difference. Luckily, so you're really luckily, in addition to really great psychotherapy, he introduced me to this idea that there's no such thing as free will. That everything in my life and the lives of others is a result of complete random chance. Now, at first, I loathed this idea, which Sam and Byron, I think, really don't like this idea. I hate everything about everything that's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, this is an episode of our show. Yeah. Okay. I uh, prided myself in accomplishing anything good that had happened to me, and I regularly beat the hell out of myself for anything negative that happened. And these two extremes pretty much ruled my entire life. I really did not want to let go of making myself feel good about my wins, but I came to the conclusion that it was a small price to pay to end beating the hell out of myself. And the further down this road I get of believing that there's no such thing as free will. So uh, explain what free will is. Well, free will is the notion that we as human beings have the ability to make our own choices. In other words, that as I'm sitting here right now, I made the decision all on my own to report on this topic tonight. That that was a free choice, okay? A lot of people feel like this is an elemental concept that makes man what man is. A philosophy that's been debated since the beginning of time. Incredible philosophers have argued on both sides of the fence. You'll see Sam will uh, humor me tonight, but typically Sam gets pretty damn fired up about this topic. And I think one of the reasons that people in general get fired up is when you start taking away the notion of free will, many people consider that to be taking away two other very important elements of society. One of them is the ability to raise oneself up and make oneself better. Mm -hmm. And the other one is personal responsibility for bad things that we do. Because if we really have no choice in what we do, then really no one's responsible. An example that is kind of low-hanging fruit. I'm sure many people who watch episodes of Law & Order SVU, as I do. Sound effect. Yeah. Um, many pedophiles were victims of abuse themselves when they were younger, mm -hmm. right? In turn, they continued the cycle. Right. So doctors, psychiatrists have said that there is a very direct correlation between being a victim and then becoming an abuser. And clearly, I don't think anybody would make the argument that when the child was a child, he chose to be a victim. Obviously, he didn't choose that. Yet, if that played a huge impact on him becoming an abuser, it stands to reason that he also didn't choose to be an abuser. We get into really murky territory there because the whole idea is, well, if somebody can't be held accountable for their actions, how does society function, et cetera, et cetera. So I want everybody to strip away this notion of accountability and responsibility because that's muddy. We're not going to talk about that element of it right now. You liberals would like that, wouldn't you? So we're just going to, and I'm not saying that that isn't relevant. It's relevant, but I'm saying for right now, we're just going to talk about where our decisions come from. Okay. So let's walk through a choice. Let's just use our one-year-old, Pukwudgie. When she went to bed tonight, she had three different stuffed animals that she could snuggle with. A purple stuffed Kraken. Okay. A stuffed Sasquatch named Sassy. And a chestburster the Byron gave her. Yeah. Now, when she's deciding which, which is, one to... Which is named Cuckoo. Oh, well... No, I mean, no, 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 no. That's uh, the face hugger's named Cuckoo. So what's the chestburster's? Well, Pukwudgie hasn't named it yet because Pukwudgie doesn't really speak. But we'll tell you as soon as she gives us a name. Oh, thanks. Okay. Now, when she chooses one of these to snuggle up with and bury her face in and burrow and stick her butt up in the air and wiggle it all cute and go okay. to sleep... Oh, stop so it. Oh, my so God. Nice. We are losing... It's like we're, the cutest thing oh, Yeah, I mean, we're on God, thin we're ice already. Okay. With <laughs> makes that choice i think we can all agree that it's the result of factors in her life for example one of those may smell more like dad and she really wants to snuggle up with something that smells like dad you picked the worst example no i think this is a really good example you're not going to argue that a one-year-old has the ability to make that decision based on some rational thought process right so it's the result of variables out of her control there are inputs that led to outputs yes and those inputs she had no control that's a great way to put it sam those inputs she had no 
control over. Fast forward down the road, and who knows, maybe the fact that she snuggles with that chest burster night after night after night makes her a big fan of extraterrestrial films when she grows up. That probably wouldn't be her choice because it would be a result of all of those inputs from younger years. Now, obviously, every decision we make is the result of, in my opinion, countless inputs. Neurological inputs from your brain. We talk about situational inputs from the way you were raised, even from the place you were born, from the way your parents were. All of these countless variables play into every teeny tiny little decision that we make. You could zoom out on that one small decision. Dominoes. Very, very far. Like, yeah. it, it goes to me, to right. things that impacted me. Right. And then... It's pretty crazy. A lot of input... We're talking about the stuffed animal. The stuffed animal. Yeah. Realistically... If it's not her choice now, the impacts that that causes down the road are also not her choice. Normally, this guy bums me out, but... You're talking about Free Will Bill, right? No, I'm talking about Nietzsche. Oh, that's a totally different person. (laughs) He called Free Will, quote, a theologian's artifice that permits us to judge and punish. That's a very wise statement. That really gets at the heart of why a lot of people don't believe in determinism. And just to be very clear, what I am arguing in favor of tonight is a concept called determinism. Per the Atlantic Monthly article, which I'm going to share in the show notes of this episode at Friday.com, determinism is the belief that our decisions are part of an unbreakable chain of cause and effect. I think that's a really succinct way to put it. Fatalism is a cousin of determinism, but it is very different. Fatalism is the belief that our decisions don't really matter because whatever is destined to happen will happen. The example they bring up in The Atlantic is Oedipus's marriage to his mother despite his efforts to avoid that fate. A bit of a Debbie Downer cousin of determinism. Fatalism is like effort I'm giving up and determinism is I'm proceeding the same way, but all of my decisions are already predetermined. I'm going to continue to run my programs. Yes. Now... One of the biggest problems that philosophers have argued about over time isn't even the belief in free will or lack thereof, but within the group of philosophers who say, yep, you're probably right, free will doesn't exist, a lot of them feel the false belief in free will is an absolute necessity for society to function. There are some researchers that put a lot of effort into proving that free free will keeps society functioning. And what they did is they took two groups of people. They had one group read a passage on an argument against free will and one group read a passage that was much less opinionated about whether free will was a thing or not. Then they tested a number of things. For example, they were supposed to pull a dollar payment out of an envelope for some task they had performed. And the people who had read the article that free will was BS were more likely to cheat that system. And they were more likely to cheat when they were given a math test the answers were left in the room. They measured a few things like this and came to the conclusion that, holy cow, free will is holding things together. The belief, rather, in free will is holding things together. We can't let people know that it's fake. We have to keep the illusion going. Because if people feel like whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen, they tend to lean towards them. Well, but that argues that that was going to happen no matter what. It was going to happen no matter what. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. I know. I know. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Our simulators did not choose to give us free will. Well, <sighs> see, this is the thing, too. I am just kidding about all that. We have talked about simulation theory, and it's funny because Sam actually, I wouldn't say he buys into simulation theory, but he's willing to at least entertain the possibility of it. And we'll get back to simulation theory at some point. Well, this connects directly to simulation theory. If simulation theory exists, then it's a no-brainer that there's no such thing as free will. Because even the concept of, quote, free will would have been programmed, yeah, and therefore yeah, yeah, it's not really but, but, free will. But, but what about Neo? They let him out? It was all meant to be from the beginning. All right. Remember? Like, they were talking about him being the one? Yeah, I know. And it was all pre-written, one. right? Now, Saul Smolansky, a really cool-named professor at the University of Haifa in Israel, he came up with something called illusionism. Now, he's on my team. He thinks free will is a bunch of BS. But he came to this pretty rough conclusion, quote, we cannot afford for people to internalize the truth about free will. He is convinced that free will doesn't exist, but also that if people realize that, the entire planet would go to hell in a handbasket. Yes, even worse than it is right now. Here's an interesting quote from him. Imagine that if I'm deliberating whether to do my duty, such as to parachute into enemy territory, or even something more mundane, like to risk my job by reporting on some wrongdoing. If everyone accepts that there's no free will, then I'll know that people will say, well, whatever he did, he had no choice, so we can't blame him. So I know I'm not going to be condemned for taking the selfish option. 
unfortunately, those previous experiments that I told you about seem to play this theory out, that people will be more selfish. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's interesting because for myself, the more I move down the path of abandoning the belief in free will, the more committed I am to my fellow man because I look at this a completely different way. And there is another philosopher who shares in my belief from this perspective. His name is Sam Harris. Mm, I know Sam Harris. You know Sam Harris? podcast this weekend, actually. Really? Yeah. His conversation with Ben Shapiro. Really? Yeah. He's a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good because I agree with him, Byron. He says we need our beliefs to track what is true. Illusions, no matter how well-intentioned, will always hold us back. For example, we currently use the threat of imprisonment as a crude tool to persuade people not to do bad things. But if we instead accept that human behavior arises from neurophysiology, then we can better understand what is really causing people to do bad things despite this threat of punishment and mm. how to stop them. Corporal punishment. I see where he's going. All right. I like uh, this. Good smart thinking. We need to know what are the levers we can pull as a society to encourage people to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Social control, societal control is even creepier than everything else we're talking See, about. This is all really just giving me the willy. Yeah. Okay, but let's think about this. Let's think about this. Now, let's look at the war on drugs. Sure. The construct of punishment did not deter people from dealing, buying, and using drugs. Well, the war on drugs is stupid. Right. Because it's rooted. Oh, you picked a stupid example. I mean, it's no, just stupid. It's Leave rooted it alone. It's stupid. in an artificial concept that people make these choices of their own free will. Nine times out of ten, if you see a criminal and they've made this terrible quote-unquote decision, you can trace it back easily. Without digging deeply, you can trace it back easily to why they made this decision, to all of these different factors in their life that led to that. Now, the problem is, and I think this is where Sam stumbles, how do you punish somebody if it really wasn't their choice? With bars and occasionally a flog. <laughs> I would say that we have to have some sort of punishment and effect for the results of our actions because that's the only way society can function. But I think moving towards a better understanding of where those actions are emerging from would make a hell of a lot of sense. Now, here's something that I think might get Sam a little bit more on my team. So far, he's been pretty indifferent. Sam loves science. I love science like the monkeys in 2001 love that bone at the beginning. Like, they don't really understand it. Maybe like the obelisk. They, they don't really get it. But it's just it's impressive and it just sits right in the middle of their world. Whoa. That's like my relationship okay. with science. Well, that isn't. And I need you to listen to this because this is important. You can believe or not believe all of the arguments that I've made for why I think determinism is the only thing that makes any kind of rational sense. But the neuroscience is pretty difficult to argue with. Scientists studying the activity of the frontal and parietal cortex were able to detect the rise of a behavioral or abstract choice slash decision, something like, say, to move either the right finger or the left one to perform a mathematical operation with two numbers. By observing neurological firings in the brain, they were able to predict the outcome of a choice a few seconds before the subject even becomes aware of it. So they just made themselves really, really, really small, went inside the brain yes. and waited Martin at the finish Short. line. Martin Short, just like he did. Wait, what are you What's talking that movie? about? That movie that he was in? Uh, where he goes inner inner space is it called inner space i, 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 hate I think it's martin called inner space god I, I, I love martin short yeah, so much you're the president of the martin short fan i should be you're a clifford apologist Ugh. no i am a clifford worshiper well don't you guys listen to this the scientists were able to determine what the outcome of that choice would be when you a distinctly measurable amount of time before the person was aware yeah, of it. You said a couple seconds. I have trouble believing that that is Literally, accurate. this is... No, no, no. I'm quoting. A few seconds before the subject becomes aware of it. And in fact, Byron, to move forward with that, they were later able to perform it and measure the action in many instances seven seconds Seven seconds before. Popular punk rock band. You guys, this seven is... Seven seconds actually okay. close with Kathy regularly. Sam? That's true. What, oh talking... my God, take Give me seriously. one second to talk about punk rock music. Okay, I love Kepi. I've commissioned two pieces of artwork from Kepi, so uh -huh. don't even start with me. Plus a Christmas ornament. Okay, 
Sam, argue with that. You are getting so fucking loud in this podcast. It's Sam! really upsetting me. I hate her. The mix so much. is like impossible. Sam, will you please argue that? The numbers were wrong. I ran them. I checked. I double checked. <laughs> the numbers were wrong. I had a feeling this was going to be the hook of this episode. Kelly saying something and then waiting for us to yell back. It's just junk science. It's <sighs> it's it's not there. You guys, you can't voice an opinion on this. Come on now. I, I think it's nonsense. You think that neuroscience measurements are nonsense? No, I, I would like to see where it was peer reviewed. I would like to see the double blinds. It I, was peer reviewed in Frontiers in Human Neuroscience. I don't even know what that is. From the U.S. National Library of Medicine at the NIH. The National Institute of Health is a, a political body. That's all it is. How do you feel about free will? I'm actually going to right? smash my computer on your face. Please don't. It wouldn't be your fault. No, Sam, I need you to have a real discussion with me about this. <laughs> what do you? What would you like me I to mean, say? I have free will. Tell me how to use it. Cry. Don't this cry. This is so important to me. The belief that free will is BS has completely set me free. It's been amazing. And we have, we have the aromas coming from the crawl space to prove it. What keeps you from feeling like you're being set on a track? Well, I feel like I am set on a track, but I'm okay with it. Because you like Disneyland. Well, I like Disney World. All but right. Byron, you bring up an interesting point. Our philosopher friend in Israel, Samansky, he makes the argument that only a small number of people should be let in on the secret that there's no such thing as free will. So why is he publishing papers about it? Well, he's not publishing papers about it. He was interviewed about it. I also think he knows the audience. Yeah, the the audience is People are way too dumb. This is not Way too dumb to listen. But it's kind of interesting when you get into this, the idea that he thinks there should be, you know, this small cohort of individuals who know. It seems a bit snobby. See, that aspect of it really... Really appeals to me. Oh, well, there we go. Like, like a ruling hunt of well, like big brain me, people controlling all of us. It reminds me a bit of like the Illuminati or the Freemasons. So for me, the way I look at it, okay, I'm not going to give up because it's not in my nature to give up to begin with. That isn't my... I mean, that's the thing. That's why a lot of people, when they retire, they continue working right. or they die. Because No, I, I seriously, I knew a woman that worked until she was like 93 and she died like two weeks after she retired. That's just who that person was. Exactly. But I think even more importantly is this notion that it's all about what our motivations are, which also I believe comes down to random chance slash luck, whatever you want to call it. If your motivation is rooted in, I want to be seen as you know x y or z and if free will is a thing i'm going to be judged for making the wrong choice so i have to try to make the right choice and they think Mm -hmm. so it all depends on what our motivations are my motivations are very different i'm not saying better i'm not saying worse but But better is what you're saying no i'm not i'm really not the way you're you're nodding i'm not nodding nodding. i'm not nodding i'm saying that now you're pointing at yourself i'm saying that Letting you're holding up a finger that says, I'm number I'm one. Gonna, it's kind of a gesture. And you're making an imaginary crown? Why are you placing a tiara on and yourself? And now you're, now you're doing this. <laughs> well, you're... Right. You guys, this is so important to me. Please listen. It's clearly important to us as well. Letting go of free will has enabled me to be incredibly free, ironically. Let's just take the example. I run a small business outside of this organization. Okay. Right. is an organization. It is an organization. Right. This small business has been mildly successful. Okay. People frequently will congratulate me on this and say, wow, it's really incredible that you've done this. I believe to my core that it has nothing to do with my skill. It has nothing to do with my choices. It is pure random chance. I know people that worked way harder than I did and were never able to make a business out of it. I know people that are way smarter than I am that were never able to turn that into a profitable business. I know people that are way better than me at everything that I do, and yet somehow random chance slash luck has created this for me. I really don't take credit for it. I genuinely don't. Even people will say, well, God, you put in such long hours. I would say that I'm able to put in long hours because that's the way I'm programmed. It has nothing to do with me being a good person or making some decision that makes me better inherently. It's just random chance. That That's the chemistry that I was born with. I was also born with chemistry that gave me like this crazy stomach disease and a whole lot of anxiety and depression. Right. But the point is, it's all luck. It's random chance. Now, you could also make the argument And all of these arguments are also used by people who believe that God controls everything we do or that a higher power controls everything that we do. So we could put that in the form of simulation theory. But that's not necessarily how all... 
I mean, I guess you can't say all of anything, but a, a majority of people who are religious believe. That well, a lot of people will believe that God specifically gave us free will. Most. You hear that argument. Yes. Well, but you you also see a lot of theologians arguing that God is the one that has control over outcomes. And that's why people pray and hope for things to change. And there's the song, Jesus Take the Wheel. He was carrying me on that beach, you know. You guys, can we do a side sidebar for just a quick second? Okay, we'll be right back. No, no, no. This is... And we're back. Moving right along with the positive implications of there being no free will, this is my buddy Sam Harris. He brings in the idea that, okay, yes, we've done these studies and it's shown that people will behave a little worse if they think that there isn't free will, but Mm -hmm. we aren't carrying it forward far enough. People will also hate less because the whole idea of hating someone is rooted in the idea that it was their choice to do something terrible. You know, one of the classic things in parenting is you're not supposed to shame your child when they make a bad decision, right? Like when they throw their dinner on the floor in a temper tantrum, you're supposed to reprimand them and you're supposed to help them understand that that's not a good choice to make. Because now they don't have food. But you aren't supposed to make them feel bad for it because it wasn't something that they did trying to be bad. And yet, as people get older, we start saying everything bad that they do is the result of them being a bad person. And if we all believe that there was no such thing as free will, we could, as Sam Harris points out, get to the root of why people are moving in these negative directions and how to fix that rather than getting hung up on this idea of we have to hate them. It's their responsibility. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had plenty of friends argue this concept with me and say, okay, Kelly, let's say Sam goes out and cheats on you. Are you not going to hate him because... Why is he sweating so much? Because it was... Are you not going to hate him because it wasn't actually his choice? You well, okay? Of course, my human nature would still be furious about that. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day... It's not my fault. If he did that... <laughs> But, you know, that doesn't mean that I don't have the right to express a personal preference for what outcomes I want in my life. You know, I, I probably would not be able to handle it rationally if Sam cheated uh, but on But that me. was always going to happen. Yeah, it probably was if it All was, right. but it, it wasn't luckily. So I'm safe. So far. Right. But if it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. So Sam Harris makes... <laughs> Sam, I hate you right now. Sam Harris makes the argument that if we get rid of this idea of blame and judgment, that we might actually be able to get to the bottom of most of our problems. Him being such a bright individual, I like to be able to cite the fact that I'm on his side. Here's his argument. No one has caused himself. No one chose his genes or the environment into which he was born. Therefore, no one bears ultimate responsibility for who he is and what he does. Pretty interesting, huh? You're saying no one chooses who they are, so therefore they can't contribute to who they are later? Well, see, this is the problem that I find. It's so natural for us to believe in that, that it's really difficult for people to break it down. But if the root isn't our choice, how is the outcome our choice? Because it all springs forth from the root. Every little thing comes from that root. So if the first domino wasn't our choice, then how would the 900th domino be our choice? In short, guys, neuroscientists can measure the fact that there's no free will. Smart people like Sam Harris can tell you that there's no free will. People that are even afraid of what might happen to society if people believe there's no free will, like Smolansky, they all are willing to tell you guys that there's no such thing as free will. I should probably discuss the opposing opinion on this concept because there are plenty of philosophers and plenty of individuals who argue that free will is an absolute truth. But I'm not going to do that. What? I, I pride myself in, in almost always arguing both sides of a case. And I mean, I guess next episode I could argue the no, other side. No, I'm going to say that that's plenty of that. Anybody who likes Westworld, all you have to do is draw the parallel and realize that we are probably nothing more than a Westworld robot. I feel like Yul Brenner was more than a robot. Well. He was a killing machine. He was in The King and I. Thank you so much for that report, Kelly. And say your line. What? Say your line. I should say you're very welcome, but you guys contributed Jack tonight. I wish I was talking to our audience instead because they're so much smarter than you two. Well, I'd love to maybe have a discussion about free will or the lack of. I feel like I treaded water admirably. In the Facebook group? I can't believe. Sam, how do you- I'm saying the link. Facebook.com slash group slash Fright Day. The last key, huh? You know what's funny is the title of this movie drove me crazy Was until I first saw key? it. I'm not really sure what the order of keys is. Are? 
let's talk about order in- is <laughs> let's talk about insidious the last key Hope you're enjoying your visit here this evening. Now, on with the show. Insidious, The Last Key, is a 2018 American supernatural horror film directed by, guys, it's Adam Robital. Love him. Written by Lee Winnell. Uh, Sam, could you tell us a little bit about this movie? Parapsychologist Dr. Elise Rainier faces her most fearsome and personal haunting yet in her own childhood home. Creatures started doing that Do you guys have phones that when you plug them Into your car system it'll automatically Play a song If I have it set up to autoplay when okay. connected it will So mine does it automatically And I really got sick Of hearing Imogene Heap's Say goodnight and go Why? Because I listen to it Every day multiple times Just Every time, every time, time I plug in my phone So I deleted all the songs off my phone in hopes that there would be nothing. But that ringtone that we made for the Patreon people, for yeah. some reason, is stuck on my phone. So every time I plug in my phone to my car, I get a ghost noise. Oh, it's actually burned into the circuits. That sounds like a horror movie. It's very startling. And uh, speaking of horror movies, Insidious. Four. The, <laughs> yes. I'm going to put a blanket, light spoiler warning on most of the things that we're going to say. I'm not going to go out of my way to really ruin anything, but there's a lot of history that's built loosely (laughs) into the franchise. Yeah. And and to be honest, we're like piecing together Insidious in our own minds right here. (laughs) Let's start with general impressions of the franchise, as well as theatrical experiences, and then we'll roll into this movie in particular. How's that sound? That sounds pretty good. Insidious was a good movie. It was. It was. It was fun. I actually rewatched it. You watched the the first one? Yeah, I rewatched it before we went to go see this one. Rose Byrne. Yep. She's got my heart. Does she? She is great. Yeah, she does look like she's starving to death. She does. Be nice. Stop it. At least she did in Insidious. Okay. I'm going to ask you to leave Rose alone. I mean, I like her. The second movie. I need to rewatch it. Yeah. But I remember liking it. And that continued the story. Right. Rose Byrne and what, Patrick Wilson. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Into the further again. Yeah, there's. I, I, I there's like just, that there's concept. There's the further and the further and the upside down and uh-huh. the whatever it is and get out. And you got that Darth Maul guys hanging out there. Definitely Darth Maul. Why did they do that? I don't know, but it scared me as badly when I rewatched the first one as it did the first time. Is that right? That God, there's a scene where it's the middle of day and they're they're sitting in like a dining room and suddenly the red faced man pops up behind Patrick Wilson Ooh. and it just scares me to death. I jumped like a foot. I can't believe that. I did. Because I don't find it very scary. But It's very scary. Uh, what these first two movies did was establish a, a pretty amazing character in horror. And it's something that I think has allowed us to continue this franchise as far as we have. And that's Elise, played love by Elise. Lynn, Lynn Shay. Love Lynn Shay. Also love her paranormal investigator buddies. Oh, Specs and uh, T-Bone? Yeah, Lee-1L and... Whoever the other guy is. Oh, why do we not know the other guy? That's not fair of us. Beardy man. I mean, let's not. Specs was great. I love Specs, and especially in this movie, and we're going to get to that for sure. The comic relief with the super awkward interactions with those two Tucker. teenage girls Tucker, was hilarious. And we're going to get to that in just a sec. <laughs> Did you see the third one in the theater? I think I was the only one to see that. Yeah, you were the only one to see it in the theater. We did not cover it on the show. I, I did the virtual reality experience. Oh, that's right. We did. Yeah, you yeah. and I did that in here. It was on the, kind of the fun. thing. It was fine. On the little put your phone in the cardboard yeah, box thing. That thing. It is a prequel to the first two films. Third film in the franchise. So this is the first prequel of in the Insidious. Uh, I'm talking about chapter three, that is. 
God, this is this is getting very confusing. Dermot Mulrooney. I didn't hate it, didn't love it. Cancer Smoking Man. Did you see the third ever? Yeah, we did. We watched it at home, like on HBO Go or one of those. Kind of creepy. Yeah, there were some creepy spots in it, if I remember. But I had a problem with the direction they went with Elisa's character. Yeah. She got a little too video gamey. She was doing like Ryu moves from Street Fighter. <laughs> she was definitely Sonic Boom ing. And I didn't. Guile. That was a guile. The physical battles that she's having in the third movie was something that they probably shouldn't have pursued and continued into the fourth movie, which is something that we saw last week. Yes. We did. Kelly, you didn't go with Sam and I. I did not. Sam and I had a fun little uh you had a mandate. Date. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I always say this, but I think we had the worst it was rough. worst audience. Oh my god. Well, I did text you a warning, a, a you, bit of an did. SOS, a panic. I showed up probably 15 minutes earlier. I was the only one in the theater. It was opening night. I was like, "Oh, well, this is this. Thursday night horror. Okay, I like it." And then a, a guardian lady and five teenage girls, probably 12. Te- I'd say tweens. Yeah, yeah, probably. Came in with their blankies and matching striped footy socks. Oh. I-, I sat in the back left of the theater. That's kind of my go-to spot because mm-hmm. it's a safe location. No one's behind me. I can exit and go to the bathroom down the left staircase. Everything's good. If that makes good sense. One buffer seat between them and me. Don't know why. I was the only one there. Well, they were actually, when I showed up, because you got your seat and I was uh-huh. a few minutes later. They had gotten bored. Evidently. I didn't know this. My uh-huh. whole thing was just you texted me that you were where you were. And I walked down the hallway of the theater to these five tween girls striking poses and taking selfies of themselves and photos Ooh, of each other. Rough. Flashes on well, that's thing, directly Kelly. outside of the door. And I walked through them and they were just cackling and it was it was terrible. Well, the, the biggest problem was that they were doing that exact same thing flash on during the trailers Ooh, not even during the ads like during oh, the trailers yeah. God. and i was leaning forward just looking at them like really i didn't say anything I said, where oh, was the guardian oh. for this oh she was a mess she was not the kind of person that i could have uh, like a mess in what respect <clears throat> like someone that wouldn't respect a dude who went to a movie by himself to be like excuse me ma'am i hate to be a bother but you're you're taking care of these kids right could you like please make sure that they maybe don't talk during the movie and probably turn off the flash on their phone if they're going to take pictures? That would be great. She would like throw a handful of popcorn loose at me and be like, just have fun, buddy. We're all here to have fun. <laughs> okay. So Ew, it's all movie. It's all movie too, buddy. <laughs> That's the, And that was my concern is that it would be of no good and it would probably make me feel like less of a person. So we moved to the front of the theater. Very quickly. I mean, yeah. And more people came in and started to kind of gather around my corner it was for some weird reason. they just clustered around byron i don't know why i am charming I mean, i've got weird. a, a I, I mean i understand never why. Happened a grizzled to but, but a mean, lot of your charm is lost just, in a dark theater where you can't be seen very true so it was rough i was not in the best mood entering into this franchise and i was just trudging forward to do my friday duty yes kelly how was your experience it was fine. I mean, we had a packed theater. <laughs> okay. But we didn't have anything like that. Nothing at all. You and your your friend. Let's see. We came in just as the first preview was playing. Oh, also, you guys, this whole AMC Stubbs thing is a pretty sweet deal. Okay. <laughs> Like I, I got to go for free and then I got popcorn for free uh-huh. and we got a soda for free. Okay. And we got nachos for free. That's and then far we, too many free things. We hauled in some candy. All right. So don't we sneak, had, please. Oh, I will always sneak. Okay. So we went and sat down. And we just got all, we were probably those girls actually because we just had arms full of stuff. Hey, hey, buddy. It's all our movie. Just enjoy it. I mean, there were one or two times where I heard people talking to the side of me, but it never interrupted me. I was fine. I was supposed to be a spooky one right i mean i did uh, there were two times in the movie where i actually like screamed very loudly all right and my friend laughed at me and i thought man i'm glad i'm here with you and not sam because sam gets so mad at me when i scream embarrassing all right adam robital director of a great feature indie film i think it made our top list our first year of this podcast seems likely the taking of deborah logan great had a like a one extreme i mean like it was if it was good enjoyed it it was good <laughs> one extremely memorable scene at the end yes very much so after that he followed up co-writer for paranormal activity the ghost dimension which is paranormal like 
seven. Don't know, but I remember us being extremely disappointed in the film. And I think that was our year end episode two years ago. Oh, do you remember? God, you have a way better memory than I do. Has he redeemed himself with Insidious The Last Key? I liked it. I, I think he has probably, <laughs> if not redeemed, definitely enriched himself. So what have we got here so far? Box office, $54.9 million made on a $10 million budget. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Like I said, I went into this movie feeling like <laughs> we went into the theater feeling all right and things quickly took a turn, but not even that could really make me not like this movie. And I don't know if that's because I've come to accept what the franchise has to offer. I think it lies heavily on... Your path lies with watching these movies. Yes. It, well, yeah, and you don't fate. have any choice. I had no choice. Josh Stewart, I think the best way to kind of put me in the zone for this. He was in both The Collector and The Collection. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in this film, he plays a uh, 1953 version of Elise's father, who is a prison guard. Uh, assistant warden, I think. Oh, God. And he's a jerk. Terrible, terrible man. Oh, but he's an executioner. He does. That is one of his duties for sure. Really gnarly performance. Yeah. Terrible, terrible man. Child abuse is tough. Yeah, I think it kind of set the tone for oh, a creepy. darker seat filling film. Did you enjoy the expansion of Elisa's story here? I did. You needed to see more about this. I don't know that I needed to see more. I mean, here's the thing. I trust the direction that they want to take us. It's their franchise. That they want to take us? James Wan? I know. I, oh, I got it. All right. Okay. I appreciate it. You tired of that joke yet? (laughs) I thought Pelly is just fine. You leave him alone. In fact, I wish that there was a new paranormal activity coming out. Oh, it won't. You don't think they'll ever do another one? Oh, no. I'd be shocked if they... No, of course they will. (laughs) Okay. Did you know he was a producer in this? Pelly? Yeah. Orrin Pelly. Don't blame him. Yeah. I went in... I mean, it's the fourth installment in a series. You can't expect much. When's the last time? I feel it was just like Saw and Final Destination. I've never seen Saw 4. I've never seen Final Destination 4. I've seen Paranormal 4 because I like Paranormals. All of the big franchises. A lot of them don't continue to to 4. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street did. Yeah, I mean, Halloween I'm talking about modern. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I think Scream did. Just up to three. Oh, Hatchet just hit four. Four, yeah. So here's probably. the thing. I thought it was pretty damn good. Some of the dialogue was really cheesy. Really poorly written dialogue. But here's the thing. I think some of the actors pulled off the cheesy dialogue in a really fun way. Mm-hmm. There were some great scares in it. They utilized CG skillfully and didn't overdo it. So most of the stuff that was terrifying Who's was... Who's big bad in this? Keyfinger? Is it the key man? Keyface. Keyface. Mm. He was very creepy. I thought adding the supernatural horror to the horror of the Keyface. family situation. Oh, and it's Javier Baudet. What has he done? Oh, he's done everything. He was the monster in Wreck 2. He was something in Witching and Bitching. He's Mama and Mama. I've talked about this man before. Oh, he must be very creepy looking. A bunch of Spanish stuff. Oh, he's a wild looking well, his gentleman. His name is Javier. I, I, I think he's a Mar fan. A Marfan? He's got Marfan syndrome? You don't know about Marfan syndrome? I feel like we've talked about it Yeah, of course we have. It's a genetic disorder where the connective tissue just continues to grow in people and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and longer and then their heart stops. Like Matthew... um, Not Lillard. Oh, is this the guy that was in Big Fish? No, No. it doesn't seem like it, but I I bet the guy in Big Fish did have Marfan syndrome. And this guy's actually going to be Slender Man in Slender Man movie that's coming out soon. Oh, that makes total sense. I'm... Probably setting myself up for disappointment here, but I am excited about that one. I don't know. The trailer looked not great. I haven't seen the trailer. At least we get to see this uh, horrible situation she's in. Her mom seems to be supportive of these early inklings of her powers. Yeah, and then her mom hangs herself. Well, I don't think her mom hung herself. Well... (laughs) The evil key man working through Elise convinced the mom to come downstairs and then the evil rope wrapped itself around the mom's neck so and she hung. It was a wire. And since she has no free will, she hung herself. Well, yes. I don't like any of that. We get this uh, introduction of a brother character. Yeah. And I thought what was interesting is the brother as a kid was a pretty good actor, I felt like. This is where the movie kind of falls apart for me, though. We've got the introduction of the brother character, and it's solely, I'm going to give you a light spoiler again, uh, so we can introduce these other relatives that have similar powers to Elise. Oh, you mean the uh, sisters? Yeah. Well, only one sister has similar powers. Yes, but all that does is threaten to extend the franchise. 
why else? We're looking for a new Elise. But this is also a double prequel. May or may not come into play because we haven't seen these girls in the first three movies. Right. We haven't seen them in any of the sequels that came before this one. <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing. I actually have a quote here from Lee Wanell, and this is talking about the major regret he has in making this film. I, I, agree, I agree with that regret. <laughs> oh, shut up. Yeah, he says that he killed off Elise too soon. She died in the first movie, so it's something that they could not pick up from the first movie and continue on with the adventures of Elise. And in my opinion, what this movie is doing is trying to potentially create a larger spinoff with this new character. Hmm. Because why else introduce these people? I absolutely agree with you. Potential love interest for Tucker and Specs, maybe? Or it'll always be longing, but she'll lead the crew. Oh, that's kind of fun. Tucker and Specs kind of steal the show. I love them. Give Lee Winnell more chances to act. I thought he was so funny in this. I mean, because the dialogue wasn't awesome, but the way it was delivered because it was so awkward. Yeah. It was great. It was, I was really entertaining. I, I was curled up. At some points, because it was so humiliatingly Oh, I feel terrible for awful. Him. And it's so funny. I started watching The Bye Bye Man. Oh. Lee Winnell actually has a major part in the opening sequences. He plays kind of a similar typed character. Very uncomfortable man, <laughs> which is similar to his character in Just Cooties. A nerd. For a guy that is... I mean, pretty cool. Pretty cool dude. Yeah, for sure. I, he's a place of good he's door. cooler than I am. Yeah, yeah. I'll give him that. The scene where... Keyface crawls over one of Elise's nieces. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So now that makes even more sense. Elise's nieces. Okay. I love and it. And sticks his key finger in and turns off the voice box. And this is seen in the trailer. I thought it was a pretty... See, and I deliberately avoided oh, okay. the trailer. I thought it was a pretty cool... Device. Device. I thought it was really fun. That's I mean, because really I have nightmares about. very frequently about not being able to scream, not being able to talk. I think that's a common thing. No. It's not... Okay, well, anyhow, being able to incorporate that, I thought was really, really interesting. I also liked the scene where they're moving through the further. Elise opens a door and suddenly we're in the attic from Insidious 1. And mm. we realized that it was Elise in the first place that let the red-faced scary man Darth. in to scare the family in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Fun connections that uh, I think were well thought out. Yeah, but why didn't they think about the dialogue more? Well, I, I don't think the dialogue needed to be phenomenal. I actually thought the dialogue... Lee's got a lot of things going. Yeah, he can't, he can't focus all his energy on this. And to I mean, be honest... make money no matter what he does. The dialogue from... Oh, it was just his coop shaking. Oh really? my god, that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I don't know why. Because you were thinking about the further. So the dialogue from the old timey stuff, like in the fifties, yeah, which, I thought worked really well. I agree. I think that the chops of the nineteen fifty three crew were significantly better. Well, and I think then you fast forward, I, and I, what I we're dealing with, I in don't the, think Lynn did a great job. I think the idea is the actors when you're dealing with present day, they're all supposed to be super awkward. They're just awkward people. Like sure. Lynn's really awkward. Her character Elise is really has really she awkward. Always been in this awkward, movie. or has she been like she a, was really awkward when I rewatched Insidious One. Maybe like, that's what I need. Her to character is is really awkward. I mean, think about it. She's this She's reclusive, reclusive woman and, and yeah. her two social interactions are these weird glasses paranormal dudes. That make her seem like a picture in normalcy. Yeah. Kind of true. And I loved kind of the camaraderie between those three. I thought it was really fun. Oh, it was cute. It seems like they had more camaraderie in this prequel prequel than they did in the later movie. I think we just got to see them interact. They're more. in a wicked motorhome that cost seven hundred dollars. Yeah, what where do we get about? one of those? That they drove from probably Los California Angeles to, to New Mexico. Yeah, you don't want to drive that piece. Why of sh- were they to driving the to New Mexico? The location of her original home, which was in a super scary prison. Yeah, because a man was experiencing some hauntings. Yeah, and she felt it was her responsibility that the hauntings were still continuing because she had opened up this gate essentially or door so she felt obligated to go back there was one recurring visual that i really kept thinking was going to play out it showed the oil dipping machine 
Oh, the oil drilling doohickey. Sam, what's that called? Oh, a derrick. There oh, we Jesus. go. Of course he knew. So the oil derrick, it shows it back in the 1950s working, and then it shows it again when we go into present day, and huh. Elise arrives there, and I'm like, that's got to play out somehow. They spent so many scenes. Maybe it's just visually cool. I guess I mean, that's... The, the whole prison. Yeah, it was a cool idea. Kirk Acevedo, he plays the gentleman who is calling because he's having similar problems at Elise's old house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah, he was pretty good. Super I liked intense him. Intense. Yeah. Rough, but uh, soft as well. I think he did a good job of playing off exactly what he was supposed to be doing. But maybe gruff and and soft is probably how he got got to the p- things that happened. I agree. Wink, 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 wink. I enjoyed that part of this movie. That was the only part of this movie that rose beyond meh for me. I agree. I like, eh. But it's also a PG thirteen, so yeah, but it was still meh. Love the suitcases that's cool yep oh my god my friend and i were sitting there every suitcase that opened up we're like uh, a little bit of the point that was the big jump you know written into script with red it's a big jump ginormous jump i I thought that was a lot of fun um i i guess i guess i'm gonna give my final what do we call it thoughts yes that is what we call it traditionally the the stuff that's going on yeah the insidious a franchise that i mean listen i don't want to take jobs away from anyone but i didn't need this movie but in the end i thought it was actually pretty all right and kind of fun byron you know who did need this movie who needed it those 13 year old girls okay well i wish i could rip it out of their hands because they made me very uncomfortable for a couple minutes and actually you know they were pretty freaking loud the whole time i'm sorry dialogue was not great but i think they made up for it with a, a fun story that was dark enough to satisfy my taste well good so can't give it more than 5 suitcases Wow. Maybe six? I don't know. Six suitcases? Wow. Well, so, I don't care. Whatever you want to give it, man. How many suitcases are you giving it? You can't do that. It's a it's a movie that just doesn't mean much. I don't know. Use your own internal scale and give it what it what it merits. I gave it five suitcases. I give this film five suitcases. Wow. I'm totally with Byron. I didn't need this movie. It was a chore to go see this. I mean, honestly, if it weren't for Friday, I never I, I shouldn't say that. If it weren't for Friday and Movie Pass, I never would have gone to this movie. It's true. And Byron. Thanks, man. I like Byron. Ah. I hate when he has to do bad things alone. Yes, that's exactly like it sounds. It just never at any point rose above bland PG-13 cash grab thriller. And I I do feel like the $10 million that this movie cost in the hands of some of the other really fantastic up and coming, I guess, for lack of a better word, young filmmakers whose work we've acquainted ourselves with. Or give five to two different directors. Yeah, exactly. Or give one to 10 different directors. And you'd end up with something that really had some substance and had meaning and was more than just spectacle it is what it is it's just it's just i give this movie and this is solely based on its technical merits sound design it looks great the cg of the key face is is really really well done lee Wanell is great as an actor and generally as a writer too but you know maybe not here i don't think you had his a game on so I'm going to give this five Lin Shea sequels. Good for her. Big shocker, guys. I like this one better than Sam and Byron. I did go in expecting very little, which helped. And having just watched the original, I also think helped because this tied very closely to the original. I, I think one of the reasons I didn't like the third installment as much is because the connection wasn't as strong to the original storyline. So this brought it back to that for me. I love Lin Shea's character. I think the comedy in it was awkward and hilarious. And I give Paranormal, oops, I give Insidious 4. Either You know, it doesn't matter. They're all the same thing. I give, I give Insidious Considious 4. I give Insidious activity. 4. Activity. I, <laughs> I give Insidious 4 6.9 creepy half-dressed women standing in your laundry room. And those are our thoughts on Insidious. The final, no, it's the last key. 
shucks i would love to hear your thoughts about this movie let us know in the facebook group facebook.com slash group slash friday how you feel or tweet us at friday on twitter or you could just leave a comment below this episode in the show notes at friday.com all spectacular ways to do it don't do it on instagram which is also at friday that's just a place where you can look at pictures of stuff we post yeah you know the whole thing with it being the last key yeah there's an infinite number of other things that could be the first something to start the next wave of these no I'm fine with it. The Elise niece. (laughs) That's so good. It's not good. It's actually bad and I don't like it. But if you do like our show and want to help us make it even better, you can grab something spooky at shop.friday.com. I am currently working and hopefully this weekend on a very special version of our Two Ghoul for School shirt. Oh, oh cool, man. How do you I love all that feel shirt. about a reflective ink? Ink that'll keep you safe in the dark. Ooh, um, I like it. Yeah. I, I, anything that lights up or flashes, uh-huh. if, if it would attract the attention of a rodent. Or authorities. All over it. Yeah, it's a Nike certified reflective ink I'm going to be using on this. Ooh. So that's fun. That should be up soon. Shop.friday.com. Or you could check us out on Patreon. That's a great way to, to experience more of this. And I do mean more. We've got 17 episodes of Captain Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Byron Serial Corner, I got two. I'm working on a third. Hey, he is. hey, it's quality. Speaking of which, next week, can quantity. we do our uh, Port Arthur collab? I, I, sure. Sounds great, actually. That sounds like a lot of fun. People seem to be enjoying that that last episode of True, True Tales of Terror. So, yeah. Th- I mean, no thanks to us. Thanks to, to you guys. Amazing for, stories, yeah, I, guys. I kind of went down a, down the Port Arthur hole a little bit. And it's going to be a good oof. story. Yeah. That'll, that'll be next week. That sounds good. But um, Patreon, what, what exactly do you have to do to get access to these things, Sam? Give us your money. Yeah. <laughs> Much like a Chicago panhandler. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. we do take cards. Hey, bu- hey, buddy. Yeah, Patreon, it's a virtual tipping and rewards website. You, you give us your money and you get access to all these things. Uh, Sam's writing a book. You can read that. We've got uh, a change to the way we're going to be doing our live streams, but you get to interact with us in that way. If that's But there's good stuff, too. Reward. There's, there are good things as well. Yeah, check it out. Patreon.com slash Fright Day. But most helpful of all, leave us those reviews on iTunes. That's the best way to get us in front of new eyes. And we did get a new review. They didn't say anything, but they gave us one star. Really? So, I love it. So, um, are you serious? One yep, star. That's out of the way. No words. One star. No words. Got our first one star, <laughs> and that's fine. But you could always make up for that by give us more more than that on uh, on iTunes. That would really be that, great. Even two stars would bring up the average of that one star. It would feel better. But I mean, you guys, you're the best. I really do mean that. But yeah, of course, that is the best way to get us inside of New Year's is to give us those reviews. <sighs> We're really going to Port Arthur next week, huh? I love it. All right. It's going to be dark. <laughs> Yeah. 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 We're in a bit of a debate about what we're going to be covering next week. Okay. Can I ask you guys a question? Byron and Sam want to cover guys, a horror movie. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you guys think that Pan's Labyrinth was a horror movie? Kelly, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kelly Fright Day, or you can email me, Kelly at FrightDay.com. I am at Sam Fright Day on Twitter. Email me, Sam at FrightDay.com, and I'm on Instagram, Sam underscore Milo Dragovich. And I'm at Byron McCoy on Twitter, Instagram, sometimes Snapchat. Next week, we're going to be re- reviewing a horror film. But until then, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. And I'm Sam. Leave your kids at home when you go to the movies. My face was like a door. <laughs> that weird. did sound a bit door-like. Hey, man, we really need to get one of those old-timey oil cans. It's got a little spout. Yeah, I'm the tin mom. Need to know what are the levelers we can pull as a society to encourage people to be levelers the best. Levelers or levers? Mm. We need to know what are the levers we can